Welcome to BimmerCast number 63. It is Monday, July 2nd, 2012. We're back this month with a ton. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, talk about M cars, of course. We're going to be talking about our reviews of the M6, uh, Michael's review of, of course, the M3 CRT, uh, a little bit about the next generation M3 electric steering, and uh, even a little bit of the M550D as well. And then we dive into some new products, the three cylinders, the front wheel drive BMW, uh, what is Toyota doing with BMW. Let's chat about it all after the break. Welcome back, Michael. It has been probably a, more, over a month. Seven now. or eight years. Yes, it's been many, many years. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a while. Yeah. We've been busy though, so yeah. well, it's it's been good. I mean, obviously, a lot of interesting content on the site. Uh, you just came back from the latest DTM race, where apparently it was it was held underwater. It was a swimming contest, Gabe. They were doing laps in a pool. It was. Uh, <laughs> Opposed to yesterday, where they were doing laps in the desert and baking in heat, today it was flooded and and wet. But uh, on a good note, BMW finished two three, oh, right. which is quite impressive. Awesome. So um, look for that. Actually, it should be up on the site already. Uh, let's talk a little bit at first about our reviews, uh, just kind of recapping the stuff that we've driven recently, Michael. Um, of course, I drove the M6 out in California, and, I mean, generally speaking, how you not love that car? I think we, we both really, really like the new 6 Series, and, uh, I mean, really the first 6 Series I think I've ever really liked. This, of course, is the ultimate 6 Series with no top. Um, and the M6 is probably as far removed from an M car, uh, emphasis on car, as anything in the M lineup. That said, I mean, you can't, you cannot uh, go wrong with with 567 horsepower, no top, and dynamics that really almost defy physics. Yeah, it's definitely a much better product than the outgoing model. Gabe, everyone knows how. We disliked it. Yes, we did. and, and now, That's being kind. It, it's true. And, I mean, now I, I have to say, I mean, seeing 6 Series around, it's just a dead sexy car. Oh, the new one is great. And in M4, I mean, you got all that power and um, a lot of technology in that thing. And the new steering wheel. You, I, I know it sounds stupid, but that fantastic. It's a three-spoke throwback to the old times and uh it's not as fat in the hand you know that's the one thing that i noticed is that you know my like the m3 steering wheel is kind of fat and it's a little bit too fat yeah I agree. and i and i just think the the new wheel on the m6 is is perfect spot on i mean I, I think it's a it is a throwback as far as the width of the spindles on the wheel itself and i got that feeling too it didn't feel quite as ridiculously cushy you know it's i mean the m3 wheel uh, i mean it's 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 like you're holding a pillow in your hand to some degree. And the one that always got me was the Z4M, the last one, because it was such a small diameter wheel, but it was so thick. <laughs> yeah. Know, it's, it's kind of cartoonish in a way. Yeah, and that's, um, you know, the interesting part with the M6 wheel is the M5 isn't going to get it for a while. Mm-hmm. So 
it's kind of exclusive at the moment, I think. It, it is, but the M, I'm sorry, the 3 Series, the lowly 3 Series with the M Sport. Oh, that's right. Gets the that M wheel Sport. as well. And I would suspect that you're going to start to see that wheel. Of course, you're going to see on the next M3 or iteration of it. Uh, maybe even on the 5 Series M Sport eventually. I mean, just you know, kind of throwing all that out there. I mean, you wouldn't there'd be no reason not to have it on those cars. No, once they ramp it up, it should just go. Yeah, and it's a nice signature piece. I mean, that's the one thing about you know looking at like M Sport wheels, um, you know the standard versus non M Sport. I mean, it comes down to on my E sixty one, my wagon, my five series wagon, it comes down to a piece of plastic. I mean, that's that's almost that's almost all the visual difference you really have. Yeah, and how much is that piece of plastic really worth? <laughs> yeah, how much is it worth? I can tell you how much it costs. <laughs> not that it's not that. Well, it's expensive for a piece of plastic, but it's not that much. Um, so, Michael, besides, of course, the M6, I mean, you drove something, I would say, much, much more interesting over in Germany recently with the M badge. Oh, sure. The M3 CRT. Uh, it's nothing special. It's just your, it's just your typical M3 with uh, losing some weight, the best seats I've ever sat in, and uh, a titanium exhaust that just screams bloody murder. And it's four doors, of course. Oh, yes. It's four doors. It seats four humans, real-sized humans. And, and it's uh, got this bespoke, well, it looks like bespoke seats with carbon back. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, tell me if I'm crazy, but wh- why would BMW go through the trouble of designing and fitting those seats to an extremely limited production car if they weren't, I don't know, interested in maybe rolling those out into a wider production at some point? Well, Gabe, you bring up a great point. As we know, the uh, M3 CRT was a secondary product after BMW launched another smaller production run of the M3 GTS, that beautiful orange beast with the roll cage and all that goodness, um, which also had the 4.4 liter engine in it. Well, we've heard in back-channel conversations in dark rooms with people that have no names is that BMW in 2009 was toying with the idea of producing a CLS. So, so the well CSL. CSL. So, sorry. so the thing that um, the thing that I learned recently from from a source as well on the other side of the the other side of the ocean. Sorry. Um, was that, yes, the CSL, the E92 CSL, was basically planned in 2008, ultimately canceled in 2009. And, and, and Michael, you've even, you've even sort of backed this up a little bit, too, just in our conversations. When you look at the GTS and now this, this CRT, you put them together and add maybe a couple more things, and you have, a, you have an understanding of what that CSL was going to be. Yeah, if the economy didn't go into the crapper worldwide... Um, I think the board at BMW AG probably would have approved that fantastic product. And you would have had an E92 with all the weight loss of the CRT. So the CRT, does it have... So I was told by my very high-up source that the the CSL prototypes actually had carbon fenders, which shocked me. Um, And there may have been a translation problem from German to English, but that's that's what was said. Yeah, the uh, well, all the all the M3s have the plastic have fenders. The plastic, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean the weight difference isn't significant. The hood is the big thing. I mean, the hood is fifty percent of the weight of the 
the so, typical. But if you can imagine, maybe it's carbon reinforced, uh, you know, plastic. Fibers, you know, yeah. plastic. Yeah. Plus, of course, the hood and you know, maybe it was know, the rear trunk actually. Rear trunk. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, you're you're stripping weight off of these extremities, which is really where you want to strip weight from. Um, man, 4.4 liters. You can imagine that's probably the engine they're going to go with. Uh, the rear suspension was uh, basically bolted directly to the to the subframe on the CRT. It's it's actually bolted to the subframe on the M on the uh, M6 as well now. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I mean, you clearly see BMW has learned so much over the past few years that they can actually do that and give better response uh, to these M cars. Well, of course, I would suspect the CSL was going to be um, you know basically taking advantage of that as well. Yeah, the CSL was going to take advantage of that and a bit more. Um, it, it would have been something special. But instead, you know, it got shot down. But at least they didn't scrap the whole project. And, mm-hmm. and they did create these bespoke offerings through BMW Individual in, in, in limited numbers. And you know what? I, the, the CRT, honestly, is probably the fastest BMW I've ever driven. Mm-hmm. It's also the, it's practical because you can fit four people in it. And uh, it has a trunk. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. So, I mean, just... It's interesting to me, and maybe this is a quick it's a quick thing that you could sum up. You own an E90, four-door M3, and you drove the CRT, which is the ultimate E90 four-door M3. How does a stock E90 M3 compare to the CRT? Um, from a performance perspective, it's probably about 75% the base car okay. compared to to that not taking into consideration like driving on the track on the track it's not even remotely close to be honest with you mm-hmm. the balance the balance and the t- the ability to point and shoot with the CRT is just unbelievable mm. um biggest difference though honestly is the braking more so than even the bigger engine and the acceleration the braking is what is is so phenomenal um cuz you're stopping less weight with bigger brakes with bigger brakes yeah that's really you know it's almost the you know Gabe Easiest way of explaining it, it was going from an M3 to the 1M and braking. That's exactly what popped in my head when you said that. And you and I have driven the M3 and the 1M on the track back-to-back, and that's one of the things that hits you when you first get on the binders of the 1M is it's just so much more immediate. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I just drove my my, uh, E60 5 Series, and I've been driving my 1M quite a bit lately. And that thing, you know, the brakes aren't small in that car. But I'll be damned if it just doesn't feel like it takes forever for that thing to stop. You know, it's just got a lot of mass. It does, yeah. Um, it's really, really interesting about the CSL, though. There's another thing that was mentioned, and I mean, since we're sort of diving into the, uh, <clears throat> let's see, the back alleys of of uh, M land, if you will, uh, one of the things I've recently learned was that there was, at one point in Greenlit, the second generation of the E60s. V10, and that was going to be stretched to 5.5 liters. It de- it developed 575 horsepower, and of course was destined for the uh, what what is the the um, basically all the new like the M5, the M6 was going to get that engine, but but mostly and I guess notably it was the uh, yeah. I mean, what we're, was we're, that called? Doing the quick uh, Gran Turismo. Yes. That's what it was. Yes. I can't. Why do I forget that? I know. It's so funny. It's just so many grands now. <laughs> just, <laughs> just gotta lose it. So, so that, so that engine um, was going to be again reportedly only DCT only, and it was designed for the Gran Turismo and of course the uh, the F10 M5, etc. Um, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And 
what happened was uh, Ludwig, who is now uh, Mr. Ludwig or Dr. Ludwig, if you will, who's now uh, the, the head of BWNA, came over and when that, when the Gran Turismo was canceled, he just canceled that engine entirely. Of course, knowing that turbos were the future, you know, efficiency was going to be a bigger deal. And they went, of course, with what you see now, which is the S63. Is it TU? Yes, TU. TU, there you go. Um, and then, of course, you know, dovetailed nicely into the, the engines for the X5 and the X6. But it's interesting to me because if you remember about two years ago, BMW trotted out this M5, is E60 M5 CSLs is what they called it. It was a lightweight E60 with a 5.5 liter V10 that produced 575 horsepower with a DCT, DCT transmission. And at the time, we all saw this and we're like, well, that's kind of crazy. Somebody, I mean, that, that took some time to develop. I mean, they really were, in, and now they're not even going to use the engine. It's just insane. But now we know that that engine was going to be the next M5's engine. Isn't it amazing what fuel economy can do? What it doesn't allow us to do, I think. <laughs> yes. So Actually, but you know what? In, in the grand scheme of things, the drivability factor is so much better with these turbos mm-hmm. than, than that. I mean, well, the, it's the, true. The, the fact that you have to ring that thing out on the streets to get that 555 horsepower, where, where now you just, it's there. <laughs> you know, I think I, it, it, it's tough because, I mean, in my mind, what I what I wish, and this of course is is extremely difficult for a company like BMW, what I wish is that they could have that engine for these ultra limited runs for people who just want that like very very pure experience. And uh, and M, you know, M has never been about this pure experience. They've been about this this really great experience. Um, but also, it's drivable on the street, and it's not annoying, and it doesn't have a two hundred mile range, even though the previous M five did. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, they, they, of course, they, they are hitting this middle ground and I think doing a very good job of it right now. But there's something super exciting about that V10 and that previous M5. And it's just a shame that we'll never see anything like that again. It is a, it is a shame. You know, it, it truly is. And, I, you know, the other problem is it's the U.S. has a lot of sway in this whole mm-hmm. battle of, of what comes to market and what can't come to market. You know, like the 4.4 liter engine over here is... There's 235 of them running around, you know, S62, mm-hmm. 4.4. And that can never come to the U.S. because of the homologation cost. I mean, it costs a couple million dollars to homologate that motor, and you're going to sell 20 cars. It doesn't work. Oh, which one are you talking about? The the, the motor in the uh, CRT and the GTS. Oh, I sure. Mean, yeah. You know, like. Yeah. It's a, it's a. Yeah, I mean, that's another incredible engine. I mean, just speaking about forced induction, though, I do want to touch briefly on your drive in the M55D, which, of course, is the M tri-turbo diesel. It's diesel? <laughs> Serious? Yeah, it was, it was tough to tell, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, actually, it was. It, it doesn't even sound like a diesel, Gabe. Um, hmm. I had some some people that experienced this car. I, I actually... Drove some people around just to see what they thought of the car. Um, very exhilarating ride. It's fast. It's smooth. The engine is very responsive. Um, it's eye-opening that they can actually do this with, mm-hmm. A, a diesel, and, and B, it doesn't sound like a diesel. It actually has like a resonator underneath the driver's side seat. So it almost sounds like a, like a, a turbo petrol car, Something to be honest with you. So nobody knew it was a diesel, I assume? 
No, nobody knew it was a diesel. And you know what? I drove this thing. I drove the wheels off this thing for two weeks. Yeah. And uh, my foot is very, very heavy. Um, I, I don't know. It was a birth defect. But yeah. And now it's sore. It's sore. And you get 36 and a half miles to the gallon after you do the numbers out. And you're just like, what wow. the hell? Like, I mean, this thing is just 385 horsepower, you know, mountains of torque. So it's the most performance-oriented diesel on the face of the planet, realistically. Mm-hmm. And I'm still getting over 35 miles to the gallon, and um, you know, yet so they're creating these things called hybrids. It's tough. I mean, it's, so I think the, the problem with, of course, BMW bringing it to the U.S. is it's, it's expensive. I mean, I asked Dr. Ludwig, head of BMW NA, point blank about it, and he said that he, they'd love to bring it over. They would love to bring it to the U.S., but the homologation costs are, are just so high. And even in their, in their best-case scenarios for sales for this car, they didn't come close to uh, breaking even, not even close. So it, it just doesn't make any sense at this time. Now, that said, I mean, I think, you know, they're learning, uh, they're learning about you know, how to, of course, bring diesel to market in the U.S. and, and make it profitable for BMW. And, you know, he certainly said that, uh, you know, BMW performance, the BMW performance line will be coming to the U.S., of course. We're going to see it in the next one series, or I should say two series. Uh, we'll see it in the three series. We'll see it in the five series over here. So, you know, look for offerings uh, of the petrol variety in the U.S. soon. Yeah, it's it's a great product. It's a very nice package. And um, for Europe, it's just so bloody perfect because you, you have these people that really want a performance-oriented vehicle. They, they want a performance car, but they don't want to sacrifice their fuel economy. And they don't want to give up all-wheel drive some, sometimes because they like to go skiing and they like to drive in the Alps. So you need to wrap all that into this one package that isn't an S- SAV. And uh, so you have this 550 M550 diesel, and it comes in a sedan form and hmm. sport wagon. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty incredible, actually. I love it. So... Um, Let's move on to something a little more futuristic, and but keeping with this M theme, the next M3, the F80, which we're seeing running around right now in Germany doing some testing, reportedly will have, and this I say reportedly because you reported it, will have electric steering. I did report that. Um, I ran into someone coming out of a sketchy alley, and I said, what's going on with the M3? And they said, well, don't tell anyone, but... It's going to have electric power steering because Porsche is using a ZF rack, ZF system, and we are using a ZF system. So how can it be so different, especially if we're using the same system and we tune it to fit our car? And, I, you know, me being me, Gabe, um, I, I just don't take that as seriousness. So I said, well, Porsche has an engine in the rear of the car and BMW has an engine in the front of the car. So there's a lot more weight in a BMW on the front. Um, so you're going to have, you know, th- there's that issue with, with the weight. And um, the person said that they're working on a way of managing the feel of the car, not necessarily just controlling the voltage of the system. Mm. Apparently there's a way to manipulate the amount of torque that the electric motor puts out and not necessarily just toning it down with say, electric. Not just on or off or a variation yes. of that. That's yes. really that's really interesting. I mean, I think the 
the problem that we've all had with these electric systems, and I'm going to just say it, I'm use the F word here, lack of feel. <gasps> yes. It gives you just barely enough information when you need it. And that's really what it, I mean, you know, and I'm a proponent of the fact that it's dialing out noise. It really, a lot of the crap people think is feel is noise. You, yeah. you don't need that. It doesn't give you any information. The problem with the electric system is that, yes, it dials that noise out, but it doesn't give you the information you need until the absolute last second. It's not progressive in yeah. nature. And I think that's I think that's the thing. People say it just doesn't feel natural. I think it's the it's the progression that a lot of folks are continually sort of hitting uh, when they say that. You know that said the new F thirty three series feels pretty good. I mean it's a it's a great car, and and I think the best compliment I can give it is it's not let down by the steering. Right. It's not, not the F10 5 Series let down by the steering. Yes, absolutely agree. And I mean, I, I drive my E60 and I get in an F10, the new 5 Series, and to me, big obvious step backwards. And it's also because that thing, the F10 5 Series is so freaking heavy that yeah. I think that's also compounding the fact. Yeah, but. I, I agree, but I mean, I think that you know, at the same time, I, I don't know what they were doing as far as or what they were aiming for, but it's such a light, vague feel in the F10. And, and there's no on-center. And there's no on-center. And, you know, it doesn't matter how fast you're going. And then, you know, the F30, th- there's, a, there's a natural tendency to it, which is really great. And, I mean, I, I, I think they nailed it with that car just in general, uh, much more so than the F10. And, I, and I, I have to have some hope, you know, given the fact that I think Porsche has done an admirable job with electric steering. And I know there's people out there like, why, why, why even go with electric steering? Well, because it's going to save, if, if an automaker can save on efficiency and give us more power, yada, 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 get the car going faster, you know, and, and they get extremely close to steering field, then they're probably going to do it right now because that sells cars, unfortunately. That sells cars. And there's another problem. If there's no manufacturers making hydraulic systems, where the hell are you going to buy one? Actually, that's a that's a problem for manual transmissions too, which we should talk about in about four years' time. Yep. So, if you know if ZF isn't making a hydraulic rack, BMW can't buy a rack from ZF, and BMW is not going to develop it in house. It's not yeah. cost effective. It's impossible. You know, and not it's, not, not today. Not not these no. Days. You can't do it anymore. No. So that's that's interesting. Um, I have high hopes just because I, you know M tends to bend laws of physics and rules you normally think are ironclad. Um, same time, I mean, I certainly will be uh, going into it with uh, a very neutral opinion and hoping for the best. I agree. I, I'm skeptical, but you know what? I, I, I have faith. So let's, let's move on really quickly. The last thing that I do want to chat about before we go into these smaller cars is the Grand Coupe. And I only want to talk about it. I, I drove it recently and um, have a review on, on Member File, of course. But I have to say, I love this car. I mean, I, I adore this car. And to me, it's it's certainly not a great comfortable four door. The back seats don't work after thirty minutes if you're six foot tall. They get they're very uncomfortable, um, but it can do it. And it's and it's a four door, and it looks freaking fantastic. It does. I actually saw one today in the matte bronze color. I don't yeah. know what. That's the one that that uh, that I drove and Fro- frozen well. bronze with yeah. like nineteen or uh, tw- probably twenty inch wheels because it filled it nice. Yeah. It would look fantastic and. Um, it's the first one I've seen without any camo. 
So. It's interesting. I mean, yeah. So th- this is this outside is, of the outside of Auto Show Land. The, yeah, and the press cars, of course, that uh, yeah. that we drove in the review. Uh, this is the first BMW I think I prefer the individual look over the M Sport. I think it just suits the car so well. Yeah, it's definitely a classy looking car rather than a sporty looking car. I will give you that one hundred ten. The the M Sport sort of squares it up in a weird way. I just. It, it, and I think the the, the individual, um, I think it does it justice. So that and the interior just looks drop oh, dead sexy. The interior is amazing in all six series. So let's move on to some smaller cars, and I got a few things to chat about. I mean, I think I think first off, uh, we we can't help but talk about Toyota. And I know Michael, you and I have had a different opinion on this a little bit. But regardless of anything, we know that Toyota and BMW have signed an agreement to base, that basically says that we are talking about partnering. Yes, they have signed an agreement to talk. So <laughs> we know they're talking, but we also know that they have, there's been rumors that they've been talking for a while. So I would suspect, and this is, this is, this is my personal expectation, is that they did this signing of work because now it's, we, we are flying t- you know, engineering teams over here and there. And, I mean, through our sources, I mean, we've learned that you know, uh, Toyota sent an IQ over to Munich a while back for BMW to, to look at and perhaps you know, thinking about the mini rocket man. Um, <coughs> we know there's a lot of going on behind the scenes. So it's interesting. I think the obvious stuff here, fuel cells, uh, hybrid drive, carbon fiber, these are things that these two manufacturers can share. Diesel engines, of course. BMW does some... Toyota does some, let's share, let's all profit. I think that's the general idea. It's all under the skin. You know, nobody really know the general population doesn't know that much about it. All they know is they're getting better cars. The thing that I'm very interested in, and it was, of course, buried in this press release, is this notion that BMW and Toyota would theoretically partner on a sports car. And, and I hear that, and I know, having read about... Uh, uh, and I, can, I always butcher his name. I'll just call him Mr. Toyota, which is the, of course, uh, um, the uh, the chairman of Toyota. He is uh, from the Toyota family. They were the ones who founded Toyota. I don't know why the difference, but regardless, um, he is a driving enthusiast, and he is has said time and time again that he is going to bring back driving excitement to the Toyota brand because Toyota, you know, nowadays it's it's all about beige appliances, and people berate it as as a, a you know car maker that creates the worst product uh you know for people who have the lowest expectations and they come from a history of great engineering i think that's the thing that's a little frustrating from an enthusiast who has a little history on their side you know think about the first generation mr2 it was a phenomenal car i mean it didn't obviously have a ton of power but i i, I race one in 24 hours of lemons and the thing, it's just amazing. It's amazing what a what a wonderful sports car that is. Supra was not a slouch either. Yeah, the Supra. I mean, many generations. But, you know, Toyota has, they, they are a solid engineering company. And, and, again, I can't stress enough, like, having torn apart this MR2, there's an 86 MR2, and torn it apart and looked at the thing and uh, done everything you were not supposed to do with these cars. And it, it always amazed me the amount of engineering and just thoughtfulness that went into that car. And sure, it wasn't built as well as an E30. And, uh, you know, it's yeah, whatever. It's a really interestingly designed and incredibly balanced car. Um, shockingly so. So, you know, you've got this notion of Toyota and BMW partnering on a sports car. I personally believe that they, they are. 
uh, because it makes sense because Toyota cannot they cannot do it by themselves. No, as 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 has been seen with the Toyota slash Scion and the Subaru. Fantastic well, product, low price point, but I, I think they did a great job with that. I mean, I think you know, with with BMW, you know, it's it to me uh, that car. Everything I've read about it, the, the the huge issue with that car is the engine. The chassis was dead on. I mean, everybody loves it. Everybody loves it. Um, you know, the exterior design, interior design. Yeah, I mean, personally, I I loathe it. I think it looks terrible. The quality is inside, hor- yeah. horrible. Yeah. Um, but I mean, taking that aside, it's a great chassis. So they nailed it there. They 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 did not nail it on the engine. And and I have to suspect that Toyota is looking at this saying, well, this is a good this is a good ch- you know good first shot, if you will. Um, but what if we want to go up market? You know, what if this next iteration of our partnership is focusing on a sports car that is going to be sold as a Lexus? You know, they they clearly need another partner to help them. Yeah, which unfortunately, Gabe gets into the finicky thing called business and if BMW and Lexus are to offer a model which is a performance oriented model in the US for example um, there'd be direct competition and I don't think they want to necessarily BMW is not in the business of doing that mm-hmm. and, and that's why um, you know if you read between the lines with how BMW's chairman worded it and then how Toyota went back in his comments and said that, you know, they're looking at green stuff. And then he says, maybe a a sports car. To me, I'm thinking that, hey, BMW needs really to hit some numbers on uh, economies of scale for these BMW i products. This is a very high-end product. It's it's upper market. You're not going to sell a lot of them. And you you can really differentiate them. Between the two brands, if one is a Lexus versus one is a, is a BMW, they could both be sports cars, high-end market. You know, you have people that are looking to buy something for, it could be even just the way the buttons look, you know, that kind of that kind of point mm-hmm. right there. So it makes it more sense for them to do it that way. And these developments are coming out, you know, now we're not going to see a product from this for Oh, a long time. Five, five, five to eight years at the earliest. So. The, the other thing, though, too, Michael, is just the, the notion that sports car doesn't have to be rear-wheel drive. You know, what if, what if yeah, it's no, a it way doesn't. for BMW to, you know, take more, uh, you know, bring more economies of scale to the front-wheel drive platform, which, you know, of course, is a sportier platform than anything Toyota has. Right. I mean, you can have a Z2, which is also shared as an MR2. And the BMW is more upmarket because of the interior materials and and design features and such. And the MR2 is a little bit lower end because, you know, but they both drive awesome. I could see that happening as well. Yeah. Interesting. Nonetheless, I mean, we'll, we'll of course, see where it goes. But, uh, you know, as as I wrote, I mean, the possibilities are limitless at this point. Uh, There are no there are nothing other than sort of thoughts and rumors and hopes but great hope i mean I've yeah absolutely love the idea and you know the other thing to think about gabe is that whole bmw peugeot renault electrification thing actually yeah. may just become vapor well and we should have a whole GM. show on on all just the the agreements bmw has made because yeah because so gm has what 10 15 stake but we've also seen bmw stay publicly that they're not backing away from that agreement yeah, and that I, I think it's what it's going to be though is that um, they're going to end up buying out the other half 
and that will be they're gonna, yeah, and they're gonna have to fill those shoes with somebody. And you know what? They just signed an agreement with hybridization and electrification with Toyota. Mm-hmm. So Toyota's gonna swing in and take the other half, but they can't do it that way because of EU rules. There's all that crap. So let's really briefly talk about the the, the smallest BMWs um, yet to be made, of course, and we're gonna see it in Paris. Uh, the front-wheel drive BMW based on the UKL platform. This, of course, is the new, the new front-wheel drive BMW many of us have, have been kind of waiting for with uh, a little bit of trepidation, if you will. We know that it's going to be basically the same chassis and many of the same parts uh, as the next Mini, so that's, of course, interesting to the folks who enjoy Minis as well. We also know it's going to be the introduction of the new three-cylinder range of BMW engines. Yeah, which gave, ironically, or not ironically, or something, but you notice how in, in these all these public announcements that BMWs are making, they've been talking about three cylinders, and all, the i8 is going to have a three cylinder, and it's going to be built in the plant that just so happens to make you know the current Prince four cylinder, which happens to power the Mini and lower one series vehicles, and. Mm-hmm. It's just BMW doesn't do things for just the sake of doing things. When they start feeding you stuff, you know something's happening. Yeah. So then let me just let me just play a devil's advocate here. What's happening? What do what do we think? Well, from what we've heard is that when BMW launches this front wheel drive wonder called um, Compact Sports Tour, I believe <laughs> what is we, what do we actually expect it to be called? Because that's a terrible. I think thing. it's going to be. I, I I don't know, and they're going to use some marketing like compactive or something like that so compact active is is what they're going with but or something like that that's that's what the trademark filings say um but uh yeah that's supposed to be displayed this fall in in uh, paris and as we've seen on the internet uh, a lot of these cars from paris are already making their waves around we just saw mercedes leak their shooting brake which by the way looks pretty damn cool oh my god it looks it's dead sexy yeah, it's 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 pretty fantastic. So we expect the BMW one sub one series compactive CST front wheel drive based on the shared UKL platform to be leaked sometime this summer and displayed in Frankfurt. But you mean Paris? Paris, Paris, Paris. Yeah, yeah every I really year. I suspect that. So this is going to be uh, a great dry run for many too, many fans because this is going to be all the technology that we will see in the next mini. Uh, it will be there on display. Um, yeah, guts, guts will be there. Yeah. So that's that's a, a huge, huge tip off to what we're going to see in the next mini. And you know, not for I've seen these prototypes running around with the swirlies on them, and um, the mini has not gotten any bigger from what I can see. Like the the standard three door. <laughs> Basically, you're just telling people at Motorfall to stand away from the ledge. Yeah, no, the you know, and if the wheelbase gets bigger, it's because the EPA says that fuel economy is based on wheelbase, which is retarded. So big deal. They're moving the wheels towards the outside of the car, which makes it look better. Not a big deal. But the the BMW is definitely bigger. It has a sloped A pillar. The roof is also a little bit sloped, um, and that's pretty much it. They don't look the same at all, to be honest with you. Um, so you're not going to be getting. You're not going to have the worry of, oh, it's a BMW. Right. Who, first of all, is A, going to complain that you're driving a Mini and people are saying, oh, you have a rebadged BMW. Who the hell is going to complain about that? Nobody. Yeah. And if you're a BMW driver and people say, oh, you have a rebadged Mini. Oh, so I have like the sportiest, best driving front-wheel drive car in the history mm-hmm. of the world. 
So, I mean, realistically, it's a, it's a great idea. I mean, they're going to hit economies of scale. As long as the product is good, and this is what yeah. I'm not doing. Yeah. When you think about the, the horrendous badge engineering of GM products for, you know, 30, 40 years, all the products were terrible, you know, so it was a joke. The whole thing was a joke. But as long as the product is good, then who cares? I mean, think about the FRS and the, yeah. you know, the, the Subaru yeah. BRZ. I mean, you know, people love those cars because they have a great chassis. They handle well. They're both identical. And I don't think that matters, shockingly, to a lot of people. Yeah, no. And from what I've heard with people that are actually working on these projects is that the cars are siblings. They might share some of the same genes and some of this and some of that, but they have completely different personalities. They have different visual appearances, and each car has its own attitude. It's really what they, you know, the, yeah. what they've been trying to explain to me. And they know that from the get-go that the BMW can't be a Mini because BMW is looked at differently than the Mini is, and the Mini can't be a be the BMW because that's a different. It's a different market. They're different customers. They have different wants and needs. A BMW customer may want a little bit more gadgetry is and a little bit more luxury and a little bit smoother ride. Where the Mini driver wants, you know, maybe the quirky, whimsical appearance as well as a sportier drive. Just hypothetical. Sounds sounds about right to me. Well, hmm. I'm I'm super excited to see him. I mean, you know, this is this is to me. Mini finally getting the correct amount of engineering dollars for that brand because now you've got BMW, you know, they have a real reason to pour a ton of resources in, into these cars. Not that Minis didn't have engineering and weren't great cars before, but I mean, now you've got, you've got a lot. BMW has a lot more at stake with this, th- these engines, uh, you know, the entire drivetrain, everything. So you know, they're you know, dropping their whole traditional approach to automotive thinking by going front wheel drive this is a big deal so and they're going front wheel drive because they want mini to succeed so there you go actually you know what that is that is worth repeating they're they are completely changing everything they know about cars because they want minis to succeed i mean the amount yeah. invested in mini succeeding is mind-boggling from the very beginning and mini is succeeding but they see challenges ahead and i think it's I think it's extremely uh, prudent and, and forward-thinking for them to, to do what they are doing. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think I'm, I'm a fanboy for saying this. I mean, God bless them for thinking that way. Hats off to them, and I wish them the absolute best luck because it's, it's the right thing to do for a brand that makes millions of people happy. It's a, it's a fun automotive brand that thankfully is still alive. Yeah, no, you, Gabe, you couldn't, I couldn't have said it any better, actually. It's... It's absolutely spot on. It truly is. Well, that's that's. I think uh, it, it's, it's an evolving story because uh, <laughs> well, we're going to see a lot more of that car, of course, in the coming months, and and, and know a little bit more about that platform and the engines, and you know, of course, there's going to be different uh, engine outputs, and uh, there's going to be just so much that's going to um, really shape these two products uh, that's going to come out in the next few months. It's going to be exciting to see it. So with that said, I think we have finally reached the end of BimmerCast number 63. Of course, questions, comments, or concerns, please uh, throw an email out to us or comment in the comment section. Um, We will be back at an undisclosed time, at an undisclosed place. Um, But, of course, expect plenty of 
of uh, interesting commentary and, and uh, God knows what <laughs> when we finally get back together. Hopefully not this long. Um, but, uh, you know, as always, if you have, like I said, suggestions, shoot us a note. Um, otherwise, we've got a ton coming up for you. Of course, a busy July. I know, Michael, there's going to be a lot of new uh, reviews coming. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Check back on the site. It's, it's, it's tough to keep up. Very busy. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, until next show, uh, this is Dave. Cheers. And Michael, prost. <laughs>